To be honest, I think medicine has always been my inspiration. On this show, I interview doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals. They share their story about what inspired them to choose their career in healthcare. I think of them as healthcare heroes, people whose purpose, passion, and calling in life is to help others. Hear their story on Pulse by Health Jabhat with Prashanti Naidu. To be honest, I think medicine has always been my inspiration. I was actually speaking to my father recently and he was sharing with me a story of when my grandfather, um, our Baba, had a stroke and was paralyzed on his left side. And he said that even as a three-year-old, I would come and, and spend a lot of time with him. And he said other children were, were not as comfortable seeing, seeing a grandparent like that. And I would actually sort of hold his hand and place my hands upon him. And there was a very pensive quality as if there, what I felt was doing something therapeutic. So it seems that it, right since I was a child, there was this incredible admiration for the profession. And even I think of these great sort of personalities that we're raised with, stories of Mahatma Gandhi. Or, and what's common to all of them is this importance of healing. Um, healing almost shown as a miracle. Uh, a miracle that I think sometimes is in the profession we can begin to lose sight of. And so I think that as I got older, I recognized it more and that more and more that there would be something that we'd have to pursue as a career in life. And something that came to me as being probably paramount was something that wouldn't harm others. And interestingly in medicine, our, our first principle is primum non nocere, to not harm. And I think another principle that emerged to me was something that would truly be of service, something that would help others. Finally, I think one of the things I was looking for was um, a path to what might people might describe in different terms. We might say self-actualization or enlightenment or self-knowledge. And I feel medicine as well it can be a unique path in that regard. And that really inspired me. I've heard a saying once it was, it, that stuck with me. And they said it was that a priest sees someone at their best, a lawyer sees people at their worst, but a physician sees people as they really are. And it's that breadth of humanity, that breadth of experience, right, from infancy to, to people in the last days of their life, being having proximity with death and dying and illness and suffering. I think it really gives an insight into the human condition. And also, um, it's very humbling to be a part of something so profound as healing. It's a calling almost that I, I feel that you've had since you were young. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. It was beautiful. My practice is quite eclectic. It's, it's an evolution from one might say a rural family practice where procedures and, and more specialized care were present to my own personal interests and things like integrated medicine and, and consciousness. So it's an eclectic practice. On one hand, there is a, we do a lot of primary care procedures, and that can range from things like Botox for migraines or hyperhidrosis. We do 
um, a lot of uh, minor surgeries, vasectomy, IUD, endometrial biopsies, lumps and bumps, radiofrequency procedures, um, if people have lesions on their face or eyelids, things like that. Um, another big part of the practice, which may be considered a bit innovative, is prolotherapy or PRP, the use of platelet-rich plasma. And so I think many physicians are very familiar with steroid and viscosupplementation of joints, but the use of prolotherapy and PRP is, is considered to some maybe more novel. I had learned prolotherapy from Mark Wheaton in Minneapolis, and so I was really fortunate that I had an exposure to very traditional prolotherapy in the sense of the assessment, the approach to disease, and also the treatment. Um, so that's another really neat procedure that we offer, that I offer in my practice. I would say two main uh, domains where we're using hypnotherapy. So it would be, one is in mental health, whether it's addictions, whether it's um, sleep disorders or unusual psychiatric disorders or unusual, very specific issues. Um, examples could be um, someone who has a very specific phobia. So we recently had a patient who had a phobia of spiders, who had a phobia of moths, and another who had a phobia of moths. We had a patient who, for example, could have a very unusual problem that he says I'm, they don't have depression or anxiety, but whenever they, for example, play for their soccer team, they really play their best when the team is tied up or when they begin to lose. And then they're able to, so it was actually a young child, and he, and he said suddenly he will be able to perform at a much higher level and tie up the game or, or get a point lead. And then immediately upon achieving that, you'll regress to sort of a, a poor performance. But even things, um, long-standing mental emotional issues, um, these are all wonderful instances where we use hypnosis. Another is probably more complex chronic conditions. Perhaps one might say there might be a psychosomatic component, but even otherwise, hypnosis can really bring a new perspective. It can really shed light on, on what is it that might be behind this. Um, in a way, we could sometimes think of an illness as being an opportunity to learn something. That the mm -hmm. illness is there for perhaps uh, uh, to shed light on something in our life, to bring something to our attention, perhaps something that we didn't pay attention to or, or was something that was unresolved within us. And so hypnosis will often, in a very direct way, a very non-speculative way, bring attention to that. Um, it'll often shed light on traumas that took place and belief structures that developed around those traumas um, mm -hmm. and how that might even tie into some of the issues that are taking place very much more in the present. So we've used it for both physical disorders. It could be something like chronic pain. Um, mm -hmm. Who has... Um, a disorder which has not responded well to medical care or is persisting, but it can be very, it can be very major illnesses as well. We've seen people with MS where there's not a psychosomatic component have great relief. In terms of the success rate, I would say very high. Um, to be honest, I found, depending on the type of hypnotherapy approach we took, we could get increasing success. So if we use, for example, direct suggestion, I actually found that success was quite limited. However, when we began to incorporate techniques like the regression or the gestalt therapy, or for example, using hypnosis to access an overarching insight, I found that the success rate became increasingly higher. And we were able to have phenomenal results, to be honest. Often it'll shift the condition, even something very physical, something very gross, something that is not apparently psychosomatic. Mm -hmm. And often is after we've completed 
a course where we've looked at things, different layers and perspectives, mm -hmm. there will be a profound shift in the condition that suddenly we will start winning, in other words, and there'll be something that shifts. Um, recently, I had a patient and she was a, a young woman who had a spider phobia. So that's how it started. And she came and we did a session first focused on spider phobia. Um, but we also noticed then that her anxiety generally began to resolve and some relationship issues began to resolve. We had another very recently, she came, she has ankylosing spondylitis, chronic migraines, extreme rage. Um, she's disabled, in fact, from her work. She was actually a former healthcare provider and even began to develop sort of increasing symptoms, sugar, addiction to any food containing a lot of sugar. So her diet and nutrition began to, de to deteriorate further and further. And we started actually focusing on the rage. And she, after a single visit, she said this rage, which had been there for 15, 20, 30 years, had completely resolved. She had not had instances of rage. And she had not anticipated that the things like the sugar, the addictions to sugar and certain nutritional choices would shift, but that shifted as well. Her migraines diminished tremendously. And the ankylosing spondylitis was flared significantly since we'd seen her last. But she said normally when her ankylosing spondylitis would be flared, it would be like her whole mental emotional condition would deteriorate, that she would mm -hmm. struggle. But in this instance, she said over these past several months, despite having substantial symptoms, mentally, emotionally, I was, I was resolved. I was not, it didn't, it didn't seem to become a mental condition. And she came for her second visit then recently. So it was, it's, it's a very profound treatment. Um, people may have heard of the adverse childhood event studies. And that's really a neat study which really sheds light on, on the role of trauma in, in all sorts of disorders, mental and physical. And I think hypnosis is such a unique modality to really look at that. And there's now increasing science, there's a lot of evidence for hypnotherapy and um, very good evidence in support of it. So it's really neat to see this coming together and uh, the potentials are amazing. So yes, and in summary, we can use it for a broad range of conditions and it, it can have a tremendous success rate. It can contribute something very profound, a different perspective on the illness. And that can translate into both mental, emotional and even physical healing. One of the concepts in Ayurveda, for example, they talk about six different um, core origins of disease. And one of them is where there's a Sanskrit term called pragya prag, that it's a mistake of the intellect. And what they're referring to is that in, in Eastern thought, the sense that we are actually in fact one, that we're all connected, that our sense of separation, our, even our experiences, our, our models of conceptualization of the world, time, space, causation, these are refractions of our mind in a way. And that this is actually one of the fundamental causes of illness, the sense of our separation, our lack of connection, our loss of connection. And so I think with the COVID, one of the things that even emerges is that maybe the actions, even in this case, quite literally in Canada, that of someone on the other side of the planet has such a profound effect upon us. And we see whether it was the current COVID-19 or if you look at SARS, mm -hmm get the H1N1 with the swine flu or the avian flus or we're seeing a real association of these pandemics coming back to 
zoonoses, to, to infections from other animals. And it really brings to light that in a way, not only the actions of, as a species, what we do, but even our, our interactions with other species and how we're treating other species on the planet has a profound effect upon us. In a way, let's say pangolins, which may have been something that prior to this, um, maybe many of us had never heard of what a pangolin was. We may have not even known that it, that it existed. And yet in a way it's brought our civilization to its knees. It's brought our lives <laughs> to still. So our actions against each species, against each organism on the planet does have a profound effect upon all of us that we are in fact connected. This unity is there. Mahatma Gandhi, there's a famous quote. Um, I don't remember the exact quote, but the essence of it was, he says that you could understand the greatness of a nation and the progress of a society by how it treated animals. And I think the way that we treat those who are, who are helpless or who are, um, don't have a voice, mm -hmm. a reflection of, of where we are in our consciousness as a species. So I think if there was maybe a message that to me really emerged from the COVID was um, looking at what we're doing with animal agriculture, look at what we're doing infringing on other species and our treatment of, of animals. Um, I think that there's something there, that, that there's a message there for us. And I think it's important that, that we take that message. We take what it's telling us. Um, and I think that's a very, uh, perhaps again, there's an opportunity through this for us to really have, uh, have an opportunity to reflect and, and make a change as a society. The COVID-19 pandemic has literally changed the way we live and work seemingly overnight. The impact of this unprecedented global pandemic on frontline healthcare workers has been devastating. But in all this adversity, the United States have reported a spike in medical school applications in 2020. You see, what I've learned talking to all these incredible healthcare workers is they all have a common thread. It's their deep desire to help others, which inspired them to choose their careers in healthcare. This is the silver lining during these dark days of the pandemic. People want to help each other and even make it their life's work.